Hello, this is Don Bluth, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 46, Meet the Robinsons. Ding, ding, ding. Blame you wins hands down. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your amazing, glorious Texan host, Mason Smith, and I'm back with uh, Chelsea Robson, my amazing co-host. Hi, everyone. Say say hello. Hello. And today we also have a special guest host, one of our amazing Rotoscopers writers, Alex Parker, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Yay. Hello. Yay. Woo, yeah. <laughs> Alex just joined our team not too long ago, so we're excited to have her. I'm very excited to be on it. It's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we're excited to have you on the show. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, this is the Animation Addicts podcast, and it's we're everything that the title implies. Like we love animation, we love talking about it, breathing it, eating it, um, and uh, you know, chewing it up and swallowing it, and we you know all that stuff. But uh, most of all, uh, we love to discuss our favorite animated films on the show, and uh, you know, have a lot of fun. Uh, doing it and so uh, Morgan can't make it and so we're having a great substitute in Alex today and it's going to be great so how was your how was y'all's week I had a really cool week can I oh yeah can I go uh yes yes you in the back with the the, uh, yeah yeah with (laughs) that um so this last week well by the time that this comes out, it'll be a couple of weeks ago. But still, it's still just as great. Yeah, what amazing rock star did you meet this week, Chelsea? Oh, yeah. I've had some pretty awesome experiences. But this last week, I was it was the D23 Expo. And we were, you know, if you were perusing the Twitterverse, like, everybody was talking about it. Everything was going crazy and just so excited about everything that was going on with Disney. And, you know, I follow Robert Lopez, who is the composer of Disney's Frozen. And he ended up posting a a thing about saying how the song Let It Go had been previewed as well as the song In Summer, which is another song that we haven't heard yet from the movie. Those two songs were previewed at the expo and how the crowd went wild and crazy. And I was really sad because I wasn't able to be there. And so I tweeted him in reply. And I was just like, hey, um, do you think they're going to be able to post it at all? Because I wasn't able to be there. It would have been awesome. And... He replied, and I was like, whoa, somebody, I didn't actually expect that, but cool. <laughs> and so he replied, and he's like, no, sadly, they weren't even allowed to record it for themselves, but it was awesome. And I and I agreed, and I said, yeah, you guys wrote a great song, by the way. So he replied back, and he's like, thank you. We enjoyed your version, too. Hope you like ours. And I, I thought it was really, really funny. So if you guys don't know, if you aren't on the YouTube, like in February, like a long time ago, we were at Destination D last year. And I did, like, what I could remember of the song that they previewed, Let It Go. And I made a video about it on YouTube. And he ended up seeing it, obviously, because it's the only thing out there on it. And it was just really funny because after I heard through the pest junket, and they were able to show a few more of the actual beginning of the song, 
with Idina Menzel singing it. And I was just like, yeah, definitely my version was not the same as the original version. But but I thought it was really cool and really nice. That's cool. Yeah. So, like, that was pretty awesome. People can be surprisingly cool on Twitter. I know, right? (laughs) So if you guys are interested in more of the news from D23, go to the YouTube. Uh, We've got a bunch of videos up there as far as, like, just some of the different uh, main events that happened, as well as our website, you know, www.therotoscopers.com. And you can find lots of different different our thoughts and our feelings about all this great things that are coming on with Disney. So check that out. My, let's see. Um, ooh, my life isn't all that impressive. Um, that is. Tell us about your other experience, dude. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, same Marcus, I got a friend who, who works works in the news, and he kind of tipped me off to um, this thing at Alamo Drafthouse where Don Bluth was going to come to a screening of All Dogs Go to Heaven. He did other films. He did Secret of Nim, and he did, oh, not Thumbelina, Land Before Time, I think. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. He was going to do a Q&A afterwards, and I was like, dude, this is awesome. And so I was like, Shanna, Shanna, can we please go? Can we please go? <laughs> so, yeah, we went up there. Alamo Drafthouse, do you know what that is, Chelsea? I don't. Yeah, so it's in Austin, and they have them all over the place. But what you do is you sit in a theater that has a, kind of a dinner table in front of you, and so you order food, and while, the, while you're watching the movie... Um, they bring you food and it's really good food. Like they have like burgers and like pizza and stuff. So you can eat, you know, while you watch the movie and it's usually either like a vintage film on, on the original print or, or they do something special. So it's like a, it's kind of a really cool Sweet. movie experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we went to the all dogs go to heaven screening. I went to that because, um, it wasn't 9am in the morning and I hadn't seen all dogs go to heaven before. I mean, I'd seen parts of it. Like when I was in like kindergarten. Really? I love that movie. Oh yes. I was an all dogs go to heaven virgin. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, it was really cool. Don Bluth and Gary Goldman like came and sat like right behind us. Um, just really quietly. I don't think a lot of them knew who he was. But you could tell there were some major Bluthians there. Right, right. Like, there's a lot of slobbering, heaving um, <laughs> animation fans that started slobbering and heaving even more when they saw him. <laughs> Heaven bless him. I did too. I was like, oh my gosh, Don Bluth. And um, our listeners will remember that. I talked to him once on the phone, but I never, on, on a phone interview, but I never, I never got to talk to him in person or anything. So we saw All Dogs Go to Heaven, and it was cool. It was on the, uh, it was on a 35 millimeter print which was really fun except it was really damaged in some parts and it really showed its age but the, oh. the audio was good we had good seats good food and then afterwards they got it for a Q&A and I I get real shy with stuff like that so I just kind of kept my questions to myself and half the questions were good half the questions were really just um I want to tell you how much of a fan I am of you right right and then mm-hmm. ask you like a generic question uh, yes, <laughs> like, yes. I mean, have you ever seen that Jimmy Kimmel video where the audience asks Harrison Ford questions, but they they can't ask Star Wars questions, <laughs> <laughs> and all the people in the audience are are in are dressed in Star Wars <laughs> outfits, and they're they're like, um, dang it, <laughs> are, are you are you are you hungry? <laughs> you know, that's all they can think of. But no, never mind. They, I mean, the questions were really good, but um. The the chick from Toy Joy was there. It's a big toy store in in Austin, and she was like, "We're gonna play a game. 
I'm going to say the name of an animation studio, and you say the first word that comes to your mind. <laughs> and Tom Booth just, like, rolls his eyes, and he's like, okay. Oh, my. Because <laughs> you know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. The playbill for this for this event described Don Bluth as the guy that Disney was afraid of, <laughs> uh, which um, I wouldn't argue that, but um, you know, you know, anybody who's read into him knows about the animosity there between him and Disney. Um, so she go, he, she goes um, uh, Miyazaki, and he goes magical. She goes Rankin Bass, and he goes uh, sad, and she goes Disney, and he just growls. He goes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, we're going to stop it right there. <laughs> so that's that's all we got about the Disney thing. Oh, and then, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, he talked about his experience with the actress who played the girl, who voiced the girl. He talked about uh, having Burt Reynolds. You know, Burt Reynolds, um, uh, it was originally going to be him. Dom DeLuise hadn't signed on yet. And Burt Reynolds got off the plane and got into the studio with, like, a dog voice, like, already prepared. <laughs> and when he got in the studio and, and Don Bluth was directing, you know, and he's kind of, I guess he, he wasn't really new at directing, but, you know, he's still kind of green. And um, Burt Reynolds just, he, when he, they do his line, he tried to record his lines with his dog voice. It just sounded horrible. And so um, some executives or some film people were like, hey, just get Don DeLuise to be in your film, too, as the sidekick. And so they brought him in because they, all, you know, Burt Reynolds and Don DeLuise work together. Right. And, um and plus, Dom DeLuise had been on Secret of Nim. He was the the crow, I think. Yeah. And so when DeLuise heard Burt Reynolds saying his lines in that, like, weird dog voice, he was like, dude, what the F is that? <laughs> like, he basically told him that. And um, he's like, no, 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 just just be Burt Reynolds. Like, just just do your, your Burt Reynolds voice. And uh, that's that's how we got the Burt Reynolds voice that we have today. And so he starts, he shared some other things. He shared some budgeting information and, and their you know their financial things that had gone on and why why they recorded a lot of it in Ireland and um, and stuff. And so oh, um, and what was really cool is that that was the first time Gary Goldman had seen All Dogs Go to Heaven. What? And that is the first time Don Bluth had seen it uh, for a very long time because huh. if you remember from our interview, he doesn't go back and watch his movies. Right. Um, just because um, he he described it as every one of his films, there's so much emotion and heartbreak and triumph and, and drama that goes into each of his films, the production, that he doesn't want to go back and revisit it. You know, the young girl who voiced the the girl in, in the film, I think she died pretty tragically yeah, um, short, shortly after the film. Really bad. I And um, oh. and he got all choked up about that, and, and, and we didn't know that, and it was just... So he was illustrating how emotion, what an emotional process to the production was. Did he like tell why how she died? Um, don't quote me on it because I don't want to. I don't want right. disre- to disrespect the memory. But yeah, it, it was it was a very it was kind of a tragic, violent death. I think she was murdered. Yeah, she was murdered by her dad, and it was yeah. really really sad. Oh my gosh. I didn't yeah. even realize that until I we were preparing for the Don Bluth interview, and I went back, went online, and was researching and looking at other interviews for him. And then he said that I was like, "Oh my gosh, I had but no yeah. idea." Yeah. yeah, he talked. He talked about that, and then um, what else? Um, uh, yeah, so that's the. And then uh, also for artistic reasons, he said, you know, as an artist, you'll draw something or you'll produce something that you think is awesome, and then four minutes later, you'll think is horrible. And uh, that's just because artistically you're improving and you're adapting and you're evolving. And yeah. he doesn't he doesn't want to go back to stu- you know to the old stuff. Yeah. Um, Don Bluth can seem very jaded, but actually he was really 
he was really cheerful and really nice. Um, I got in line to get it for autographs and photos, took my photo with him and, and he was really cool. I walked up to him and, um, you know, I thought I recognized you. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> oh. Uh, I was like, well, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen me, but I have, I did talk to you about a year, a year ago on our podcast, animation addicts podcast you know, with Morgan and Chelsea. He's like, Oh yeah, those, those two girls are really cool. They're really nice. And I was like, yeah, they're cool. And, uh, Oh, I asked him about, uh, the thief in the cobbler. Oh, really? I was like, yeah, since I got you here, you know, um, have you heard about uh, The Persistence of Vision, the documentary on The Thief and the Cobbler, by, uh, you know, by Kevin Shrek? And then uh, what did you think about that film? And he kind of rolled his eyes again. He was like, Williams, like, I don't think Williams was ever going to finish that movie. <laughs> and um, and he, he gave a little insight on knowing when to stop and the dangers of being an independent filmmaker, an independent producer. And uh, not having the restraints of the corporation, yeah, and how that can be a danger. He just he just gave a little anecdote on that, and I took his picture and shook hands with him. He was super super nice guy, and I'm glad I got to meet him. So I didn't mean to for that to turn into like a big like 15 minute. <laughs> no, I <I'm, laughs> uh, I love it. That's yeah, fantastic. maybe I'll post. Yeah, maybe I'll post a little more about it. it is, it's I, I I'm never the type to like get in line and wait to like take a picture with a famous person. Um, I don't think I would really do that with anyone with uh, exceptions of George Bush and Lupe Fiasco. And so uh, I'm just, just kidding about the first one. But um, oh the exception being Lupe Fiasco. But um, but yeah, it was a really cool experience, and um, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I got tipped off to it, and it was a real fun experience. So. I'm really glad you got to do it, too. That's I, I love that you asked him about the persistence of vision. Like That, that was really cool. You should have... I wanted to ask him something that no one was going to talk because everyone's like, uh, how was Disney? Why do you hate them so much? Or right. one guy was like, what, what was it like uh, working with uh, George Lucas? And everybody was like, Spielberg. And he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> he just oh. ran out crying. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Heaven, bl- heaven bless the kid. I, w- I, I definitely would have said something like that, too. Yeah. But um, I tried to promote the podcast as much as possible. Good. But uh, I don't think I don't think we have a lot of listeners in Austin. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was it was super fun. I'm glad I got to do it. You really should have pulled that question out of your hat. Everyone would have just sat there like, "What?" Yeah. See, I didn't wear a hat that day. <laughs> I know. That's your problem, Mason. Always wear a hat, a oh, polar hat, if possible. It's better for you, it's better for me, it's better than what everybody thought it would be. It's time to create, time to grow up, it's to feel right, so uh, like I mentioned, we have, we have Gur Alex on the show today and um i'm just not going to explain why i call you gur alex leave it a mystery um okay. so we're gonna we're gonna do our catch and fire segment with our with our guest host it's so hard not to say ghost host <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at i was at uh, magic kingdom way too recently and um, so uh alex what we do on catch and fire it's um a term from what, the princess and the frog right yeah no not no, princess and the frog uh, the swan princess yeah so okay. it's just kind of a rapid fire question question so we can get to know you better and it's it's fun. There's no math involved, I promise. Sweet, let's do it. How about a quick round of catch and fire? 
catching fire. You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. So just, yeah, just try to answer as candidly as possible. Number one, first animated movie you remember seeing? Toy Story. Favorite cartoon growing up? Snow White. Is that a cartoon? Sorry. Well, a cartoon animated series like on TV. Okay, I gotcha. Um, Blue's Clues. Favorite animated movie? Toy Story. Favorite animator slash artist? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess John Lasseter, if I'm going to be super mainstream. Uh, let's see. Do you prefer classic hand-drawn animation or CGI? Um, I'm a really big fan of CGI and the whole claymation helped out with CGI movement going on. I'm a huge fan of that. Okay, cool. Uh, favorite animation studio? I better already know what this one is. It might just be Pixar. We might have to go there. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, Disney or Pixar? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the whole, I mean, just the, the endless amount of Disney magic. That whole concept just fascinates me. Um, but I think the technology of Pixar is just groundbreaking. So I'm going to have to go there. Good answer. Um, let's see. Do you like? Do you prefer Leica or Studio Ghibli? Leica. Okay. Disneyland or Disney World? World. Okay. Uh, Stitch or Tinkerbell? Tinkerbell, a hundred percent. Mickey, Goofy, or Donald? <laughs> um, I guess Donald. <laughs> um, do you prefer songs or no songs in your animated films? Oh gosh. Um, if we're gonna go with. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I guess songs. Songs are great. Okay. Uh, who would win in a fight, Bowler Hat Guy or Dr. Facilier? Oh, okay. Um, I feel like Bowler Hat Guy would be a little scrappy, so I'll have to go with Dr. Facilier. Okay, okay. Well, he's definitely a lot more sinister than <laughs> Bowler Hat Guy. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, and as far as amazing direct-to-video to sequels go, do you prefer Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, Return of Jafar, or Cinderella 2? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess... I mean, I, I never watched Aladdin as a kid because my mom thought it was scary, and, <laughs> and she was also not a big fan of the religious, I guess, direction that um, Hunchback of Notre Dame took. So we never saw either of those of. growing up. So I'll have to say Cinderella. Okay, Cinderella too. Okay, cool. Yes. All right. Well, that's it. And uh, you know, like I've, I've always said before, we're the podcast that asks the super hard questions that no, everyone <laughs> else is afraid to ask. The no spin um, zone, right? Yeah. There we go. What else? <laughs> Well done. Hey, cool. Thanks. So now we know all about you. Everything um, we ever need to know is right there. <laughs> the whole Mickey Goofy or Donald thing is a big deal. Okay. It gotcha. It is. Where is your heart at? Nobody knows that. Even though you, him, her, me, and an army searching. Saga's comes to town And you see me leaving Dressed up as a magician Or something like that Hey! Hey guys, 
this is Morgan, and I'm editing this episode today, and I just wanted to let you know, in this nerdy couch discussion, there are some movies that are discussed, such as Turbo, Planes, Dumbo, Monsters University, Ratatouille, and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, that contain spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled about some of these movies, skip this section, because it was just the nature of this discussion that they sort of talked about the endings of some of these movies. So, you've been warned, and enjoy the nerdy couch discussion. If not, skip ahead to 36 minutes and 36 seconds and you will be led to the main discussion. Cool. So for our our nerdy couch discussion, as it were, uh, we're going to sit down and talk about, uh, my wife showed me an article on The Atlantic. It came out pretty much last week by a certain Luke Eplin and it's entitled, You Can Do Anything must every kid's movie reinforce the cult of self-esteem? I had no idea that there was a cult, but I guess that's why they call them cults, because they're kind of secret. But um, uh, let's see, the headline is, Encouraging kids is fine, but films like Planes and Turbo take their message to an extreme. Parents should turn to 1969's A Boy Named Charlie Brown for a reality check. Now, if you haven't read this yet, uh, basically the gist of it is he's tired of animated films having this what-if this type of creature wanted to be a type of this type of person that they could never be, but something magical happens uh, and uh, they're able to follow their dreams. And by, you know, by a little, you know, animation magic, they get to fulfill their dream. Anyway, he's saying no genre in recent years has been more thematically rigid than the computer animated uh, children's movie talks about the magic feather syndrome where in Dumbo, uh, it was quote unquote, the magic feather that was supposed to make, make him fly. But then he had to let go of it and believe in his primary liability, like his ears, which actually turned out to be his greatest strength. Um, but first, the characters must relinquish the crutch of the magic feather or more generally surmount their biggest fears and believe their greatness comes from within. So basically what this guy is saying, what um, Eplin is saying is that he's tired of all the films being like, oh, I'm a snail who wants to win the Indy 500. And, you know, uh, spoiler alert, um, he, he pulls it off and he wins it, you know, by believing in himself. You know, the, it was in you the whole time. You know, and then with planes, uh, Dusty Crop Hopper, you know, uh, you'll never be a race uh, race plane because you're a crop duster plane, and that's what you were made for. And he's like, no, I can do it. And, uh, you know, you know, by believing in himself, he pulls it off. And so he's saying that he's really tired of it because you see that a lot, and, and you do. And then uh, the second half of his article is saying, why can't movies be a little more realistic and be like a boy named Charlie Brown, which is Charles Schultz's first feature-length film for the Peanuts in the which, if, if you don't know who Charlie Brown is, everything goes wrong for him. And he tries to win a national spelling bee, and it's either, you know, Linus says, you know, don't be discouraged, Charlie Brown. You have nothing to lose. You'll either be a hero or a goat. <laughs> and, uh, and spoiler alert, again, Charlie Brown loses um, the spelling bee pretty miserably, and the end of the film is he just goes back to being... Um, Charlie Brown, you know, who who always has bad luck, who, who whose life is disastrous, and and he's and he's not he loses his confidence. The last scene of the film, uh, he sees Lucy setting up the old football for a punt, and doesn't know that he's around. And um, he he's like, well, maybe just maybe I'm going to kick that football, and he runs up, you know, without her noticing him. He's about to kick it, and then she just for some reason pulls it away at the last second. He falls on his back, and that's how the movie ends. <laughs> and so 
there isn't this big victory or death thing where he, you know, he pulls it off at the end and he's the champion and he, you know, whatever. Um, that's just it. He ends up where he begins, but since he went to the national spelling bee in the first place, maybe he got a little more respect. And so the whole point of this article is, is that maybe animated films are a little, are giving some false hopes to children, you know, by building up their, their hopes that, that instead of relying on hard work and, and going from failure to failure to failure to, uh, to eventually through hard work, achieve your goals, that they're giving them this false hope that, you know, if you believe in yourself enough, then you can pull off the impossible. And he cites, uh, he cites Kung Fu Panda, Ratatouille, Wreck-It Ralph, and Monsters University. Uh, uh. So what do, y'all, what do y'all think about this? Y'all have read the article. You've digested it. Let's see what comes out the other end. <clears throat> that came out wrong. Um, <laughs> what did y'all think about the article? Um, I think I think it's really neat commentary on the whole, um, I mean, if you can dream it, you can do it phenomenon that seems to kind of be infiltrating the kind of like everybody gets a trophy era that we seem to be in. Um, but I, mean, I think by itself, I think it's obviously a great message to send to kids. You know, I mean, why not go for your dream? I think that's great. Um, but I think it is kind of becoming, like you said, just kind of a, a frequently touched on topic that has become a little more predictable than I think they're planning. I guess it's one of those things where if you look for it in a movie and you know it's going to be there, this whole concept, you can find it. But I don't think that it's, you know, become, you know, this big overarching, what's that, what is that word, zeitgeist that um, has just completely overtaken the movie industry. I don't think it's become that big of a monopoly. Um, But I, I definitely see where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. He says like in the past decade, it's been pretty prevalent. Um, I think, what do you think, Chelsea? Well, like I have, I've actually had this conversation multiple times in the last like month, which is kind of interesting. Um, we, we touched on it a little bit in Monsters University and like, you got my little bit of cynical side saying like, come on, like you have to know what your limits are and you have to kind of play toward your strengths. And like find out what it is that you can really excel at and then excel there. Um, as opposed to looking at your biggest weaknesses and just, and then just trying to overcome everything. Um, but like, I, as I've thought about it, I'm like, I go back and forth. I, I'm just like, I'm also a huge believer that, um, if you can dream it, you can achieve it basically. Um, but I, I don't know, like, I've gone through lots of different thinking on this. Um, I think one thing that a lot of people are saying nowadays, like you were saying, just this, like everybody gets a trophy. You don't have to like really work too hard. Like it's just everyone expects to be given a lot more. And this entitlement mentality that is kind of within our generation and I can see it and I can also like in certain ways I'm sure I've fallen into that category of like come on now like snap to it let's go <laughs> um but I, yeah yeah but I I don't know it's I also have you know experienced my fair share of failures and I'm really grateful for those failures because I can look back and I can say you know where I have gone wrong i can go back and i can readjust Uh, yeah so what are your thoughts mason well i i think the article is very cynical i'm glad the article was written because it it 
brings up it brings up a pretty good point and it's kind of a it's kind of a thing you know with animated film plots but i i think he's a little cynical and I, I think he i think it does um i don't know if he actually watched monsters university uh that's 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 one major criticism i have is that in mu it it really wasn't this like you know, with a tiny bit of Disney magic and believing in yourself, you know, right. you can you can achieve your dreams. Mike Wazowski is like a bad A in that in that movie. <laughs> like, okay, he he worked his butt off as a as a bus driver for A and M. When he's doing the work study, as you know, while he's studying, literally working, studying while he's working, while he's driving the bus. Um, I wanted to be, now I'm like, oh, that's illegal and against policy. You can't, you can't, you can't study while you're driving. Um, but, uh, it's a cartoon, mate. Uh, but, uh, um, Mike Wazowski worked his butt off in that movie and did, and did the work that no one else was willing to do. um, to achieve his goals and he still failed. He still wasn't, Oh, spoiler alert again, everyone. <laughs> <clears throat> he still wasn't scary enough to be a scarer. He didn't achieve what he wanted to do, but he found a way. Um, he found a back door into monsters university through the mail room and they worked and they, they, they got their chance and they, you know, they worked up until, yes, he finally did to get, uh, did get to work in the scare department of Monsters Incorporated with, with, uh, Sullivan as his, as the scare, but he was the coach. And so, yes, he did in the end get to do what he does best in, in scaring, but it wasn't because of this magic feather thing. And so I disagree with, um, the author on Monsters University and, and quite a few of the of the commenters on the on the bottom of the article do. If anything, uh, Monsters University was a a commentary on the foolishness of Sullivan, who thought that he could get into the program just because you know he has this dream of oh I was born to be a scare because I'm a Sullivan, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. With planes, it's also a little fuzzy because Crop Duster worked his butt off to even get in the shape. He could be to, like it wasn't like one day he was like, "Oh, I want to be uh, a race, a race thing, so a race plane, so I can do it now." Um, he knew he could. He knew he didn't have the skills yet, and so he trained, and uh, he trained with Skipper to even get to the qualifier or even to survive the race because he knew he knew he was, he was out of his out of their league, and so he worked hard. Um, I don't think planes kind of fits this. I think the one that fits it the most are uh kung fu panda and um and turbo turbo definitely yeah because it's like i'm a snail i'm slow but i have this goofy dream of winning the indy 500 and he doesn't have a chance until something magical happens to him right unless there's some sort of uh you know uh, physics out there that you know if you ingest large amounts of nitrous oxide you can you can move really fast don't try it kids yeah um and i haven't seen the film so maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong on this but um well, and also, like, Ratatouille, he mentions as well as having this whole thing, like, the sewer rat basically wants to become a French chef, and, like, obviously that's not going to happen either. But but, um, but, Remy, but Remy is extremely talented as a chef. So it's like, it's not like in he the world, yeah. nothing. Right. I mean, like, in the world that Ratatouille creates, you know, the yeah. movie. So obviously we're not talking real world here. We're talking about Ratatouille world. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's yeah. talented, and he uses what he has. Like yeah. he uses 
like there's there's a phrase that I really like to always go by is like learn the rules of the game and then play to win. So it's like if your circumstances happen to be unfavorable, just like use those as the rules. Like okay, yeah, these are where I fall short. These are where um I am not winning right now, but where do I win? Where can I push forward? Um, okay, right here. This is where I excel. And then try and just like, you know, hit those other things as they come, but focus on what's good right now and use your strengths to win. Yeah. I've actually been reading this guy. His name is Tim Ferriss and, um, he's, he's the author of the book, um, a four hour work week. And he also just came out with a four hour body and the four hour chef. So it's kind of his like trademark theme, four hour thing. Um, basically his, he's one of those guys that's just like, how can you best organize your life? So it's most productive within a short amount of time. Um, he, he talks about that as well. Like he says, deconstruct your problems and figure out exactly what it is that you want and then those like small goals to build um to start with the small goals and work your way up and then but also realize the 80 20 principle have you guys heard of that one before so it's called the proto's law um it's it's a principle that says that 80 percent of your results will come from the 20 percent of the things that you do and so most of the time we end up focusing so much on the 80% when 20% is what's going to give us most of our results. And so he's basically saying in multiple facets of life, cut your focus down to that first 20%, first things first, you know, the things that are going to be most important and everything else will just fall away and really isn't that important. He focuses a lot on that one, which is something that's mentioned multiple in multiple books around but um, I like how he's also he's put it in that perspective. But then there's I mean, there's just lots of books out there about this in research for this. I've, I found a quote by Will Smith and he was just like, don't start out by saying I'm going to build the greatest wall ever made. You start out by saying I'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid. Do that every day and soon you will have a wall. That's pretty good. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess like. I can see where this guy is leading and basically saying that all he sees is the shortcut of cram everything into an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, you said it right. It's the shortcut. I think that's what he's talking about, but I, uh, I wouldn't expect to be realistic with kids movies. Um, but I do appreciate his concern over this growing trend of uh, this mentality. You know, everyone gets a trophy mentality. Every, you know, everyone deserves to win kind of thing um, versus good old fashioned hard work and moving from failure to failure to failure or, or small step, small step, small step until you, uh, until you can achieve what you want. Um, I think a lot of this stuff it happens because when you look for an idea for an animated film, you often start with the what if question, you know, what if a gun could talk iron giant? What if a snail wanted to win the Indy 500, you know, you know, what if um, toys were alive, you know? And so um, a lot of these, what ifs will be a, what if a blank wanted to be a blank, you know, and it's always something, it's always an impossible dream. And then the, the, your film is interesting because it explores that, you know? And so I think that's because that's a common what if kind of plot thing that we see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everyone loves an underdog story, you know? 
I do appreciate his um, the contrast of the 1969 film of Boy Named Charlie Brown versus Animation Today because um, you don't see a lot of stories like that of a boy named Charlie Brown no, in Animation no. Today, at least not in the blockbuster animated movies. And so, and so maybe it's maybe it's time to make some variation and have some underdog totally fails stories, you know. <laughs> but it's it's but in the case of Charlie Brown, it's not all that bad. Yes, he. He did fail in his ultimate goal, but he got to try. Yeah. Yeah, kind of an interesting thing. Um, maybe we can, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll put it on the website or something and, and, and see what our listeners have to say. But, uh, yeah, you can always leave a voicemail uh, on the show and, uh, you know, let us let us know, know what you think. So head on over to therotoscopers.com slash voicemail to leave us your thoughts. Woohoo! Everyone on this planet has a dream. The question is how far you're willing to go to make it come true. Take Lewis, for example. All right, Lewis, knock him dead. That was a figure of speech. Please don't kill anyone. All his life, Lewis's dream was to find the family he never knew. I know they're out there. But the funny thing about chasing dreams is that no one can do it on their own. What are you doing up here? Desperate times call for desperate measures. And the journey will always take you places you never imagined. What is this? Where are we going? To the future! This spring, the first visitor to the future. Wow! will discover a strange new world and a family. Lewis, meet the Robinsons. That's even stranger. Why is your dog wearing glasses? Oh, because his insurance won't pay for contacts. Frogs? Genetically enhanced frogs. And his only way home... I have to find my family. We'll help you, kid. ...is about to be stolen <laughs> by a guy who gives evil a bad name. What the two are now under my control. I am now under your control. Don't repeat everything I say. I won't repeat everything you say. This may be harder than I thought. I haven't had this From Walt Disney Pictures. If I had a family, I'd want them to be just like you. You have to go back to your own time. When it comes to adventure... Ah! Dude, I can't take you seriously in that hat. When it comes to family... I think my wife Lucille's baking cookies. Bake them cookies, Lucille! When it comes to comedy... I've got the caffeine patch! You can stay awake for days with no side effects. Ah! Sorry. There's no time like the future. Now my slave, seize the boy! Why aren't you seizing the boy? Meet the Robinsons. Get it off! Get it off! Okay, we're going to start our main event, our big, uh, great, big, beautiful tomorrow discussion um, on Meet the Robinsons, which um, is one of my favorite animated films. It's a movie with a lot of heart and a lot of wacky characters and a lot of a lot of 3d effects that i've never seen because i've never seen the movie in 3d but um so yeah 2007 uh meet the robinsons let's see that was same year as the simpsons movie as tmnt another one of my personal favorites uh b movie <laughs> beowulf come on <laughs> um yeah so that was 2007 first film 
from the uh, newly formed Walt Disney Animation Studios uh, that happened after uh, the agreement between Pixar and Disney expired. And then, as we'll explain shortly, uh, and then John Lasseter, you know, uh, jumped on as director or producer, I think, producer. All in all, is the uh, 47th Disney animated feature, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. This was the 47th Disney animated feature. Um, let's paint a picture for you, like, what happened before... Meet the Robinsons. So 44 was Brother Bear. 45 was Home on the Range. 46 was Chicken Little. And to me, like, I put all of these movies into what I quote, the meh era of Disney animation. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but that's where I put it. Um, and I, th- <laughs> I think, meh. meh. I really do think that this was so underappreciated because, you know, the expectations were kind of low at the time. I mean, those movies were, as we said, meh. Um, But this was directed by Stephen J. Anderson, who actually had lobbied for the job after reading the screenplay because he was adopted as well. And so he really wanted to be able to portray this this story. So he could... Yeah, he could relate to Lewis and his story of, of wanting to be adopted. Yeah, it was very heartwarming, and you could totally feel that... It was sincere. Like, Lewis was a sincere character, and so I was really glad that Stephen J. Anderson was able to direct it for those reasons. Its production was during the time, like Mason said, of the Pixar acquisition. So right after Pixar, their contract was up, but then a little bit later is when Disney bought Pixar and then John <laughs> Lasseter. Funny how that works. Right? <laughs> and then John Lasseter came in, and he became big man on campus. Um, after the first screening with Mr. J over the next 10 months. <laughs> okay, Harley, all right, Harley Quinn. <laughs> I love her. Um, over the next 10 months, like 60% of the movie had been changed. So it was a huge change. Um, it had already been in production for a long time. So obviously John Lasseter had a big influence on this movie. Yeah, yeah, and he did. He he changed the villain. Um, he changed the ending. He added some more exciting stuff. And um, you know, when John Lasseter makes a suggestion, you should probably listen to it. Um, yeah, it, it was in production for four years, I think. It was quite quite a while. They also changed up some technical stuff. Production wise, it was actually shot in real 3D, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> okay, so what? Okay, so can you get what's the difference between Real 3D and just regular unleaded 3D? Um, well, according to my hefty Google searching, uh, I mean, it's probably not a, probably not something you'll notice if you, you know, as a regular moviegoer just sit in a theater and you're watching a movie. You're probably not going to notice it. Um, one of the big technical differences is that Real D uses circularly polarized light instead of uh, linearly polarized light, which I'm sure means absolutely nothing to any of us. But um, it basically kind of eliminates like the really just kind of noticeable double images you get if you kind of like shift around in your seat or, you know, whatever, um, you'll kind of see that. But with Real D, it kind of eliminates what goes on there. Um, other than that, I think most of it's just kind of a marketing thing. I'm sure from a technological standpoint, it does great things. Um, but from our, you know, just kind of plebeian viewer standpoint, I think it's mostly just kind of a, hey, we have Real D, it's new, come check it out. And it's just kind of a kind of just a draw in more of a marketing sense um, than anything we would notice offhand, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like a more clean, crisp 3D. Yeah, just kind of a, I guess, the Blu-ray to DVD comparison. Like, there are, you know, there are updates, but, you know, it's not something that you'll just go head over heels for, so. Yeah, yeah. 
And it it did okay for itself, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it opened up uh, March 30th, 2007. And after six months or so in the theaters, it grossed $97 million, almost $98 million domestically. Um, yeah. And then worldwide ended up being $169 million, so almost $170 so I wouldn't say it did too bad. I don't. I wouldn't say it's like a huge success though, because most of the opening weekends were like the opening weekend was like twenty-seven million. So not what we're used to these days, I guess you could say. But I don't think it was something to be ashamed of. Ashamed of. Oh, definitely yeah, not. Uh, Ninety something million dollars. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm. You know, I know it's different in the movie business, but, um, but cool. Um, I I really love this film. I do not understand uh, people's reasons for not liking this film. Um, <laughs> if you go on Amazon and you, I, I rented it from Amazon because I don't have the DVD and, and we watched it. The most negative reviews on Amazon of this film are because the DVD scratched and wouldn't work, <laughs> or it wouldn't play on my computer. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, how well, how did you like the film? Um, one person was like, uh, "It's it, it it was poorly rendered," and I was like, oh, "Okay." And then um, another person was like, "I didn't like its message on on adoption. Um, the little goob wasn't adopted, so he's the bad guy." And I was like, oh, "Okay, I think you're looking a little. I think you're being a little overly sensitive." And people usually are. Um, I don't like it when people judge an animated film on if their kids can stay awake during it <laughs> um, or if they can, if it can hold their kids attention. Cause like these movies are not distractions, you know, they're supposed to be an artistic expression. They're supposed to be a, a story that's being told. So, um, and also it's subjective with the kid. Right. Like, right. Like your kids so, are really crazy. Yeah. Now, I'll admit, Meet the Robinsons does not have the best visuals, but it was 2007, and, and parts of it were, were probably being produced, uh, you know, three years prior. Um, you, you can tell in some scenes where they used more resources to better better render one scene versus another. Um, uh, some, some weird animation, but I think it's just kind of, I think that's just due to the overall style. I'm looking mostly at how the T-Rex moved, and... Um, I didn't have big expectations for the animation of this film because I really like it because of the story. Right. You know what I mean? But there is some, some goofy parts like with the peanut butter and jelly splattered on the walls. Like it kind of looks a little weird, you know, would you agree? Alex? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mean, I would, I was trying to think I, I was reading somewhere that liquid is like, I mean, it is one of the harder things to animate just because I mean, so much goes on in yeah. a liquid that we don't think about. Um, so I mean, it definitely does kind of show a little bit. And I think the other main thing there was a bit of a lack of keep alive motion, which I didn't know what that was till about a semester ago. But keep alive motion is basically just kind of what breathes life into characters and stops them from being like, all right, they were here a frame ago. Now they're over here. I mean, it just kind of gives them that, you know, you can't put your finger on it kind of motion. And I think that was kind of missing. So it did give it a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a, a different feel um, than I think we're used to. But I think the story definitely made up for that. Yeah, it's all very cartoony, you know. I wouldn't say go, I wouldn't say slapstick because the humor is very different from slapstick films such as uh, Madagascar. So, mm-hmm. um, I would say that, but yeah, I mean, it, it shows his age, and uh, there's not a lot of big big actors doing their voices either. I mean, it had it did have Adam West, you know, <laughs> as Uncle Art, and I didn't know that until I watched it recently. <laughs> 
And then um, Tom Kenny, who you know as SpongeBob, or if you're a loser, as the Ice King from Adventure Time, uh, was <laughs> Mr. Willerstein. And uh, and then of course Tom Selleck, um, uh, you know who's uh, you know Tom Selleck. And Jim Carrey was approached to be the voice for Bowler Hat Guy, which would have been very a uh, series of unfortunate events, I think. Uh, but he turned it down to do 20, do the movie Twenty Three, um, the psychological thriller that everyone knows about and rants and raves about. So um, <laughs> so a good choice, yeah. Um, but I I really like this film. I don't think it needs big actors. I think they did just fine. And uh, the music is really cool. Uh, not not just the score, which I which I, I listen to, but also the um, you know the, the artists produce songs. You know, you got Rob Thomas on the end there. You've got um, oh Jamie Cullum, who's brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. All American Rejects at the end. On the soundtrack, you need to hear a cover of uh, "There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow" from the Carousel of Progress, <laughs> which we had stuck in our heads all day when we went to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> But that that's the best song to get stuck in your head. Better than It's a Small World, right? Yeah. What do you friends. think about the music, Chelsea? Because you're our, you're our music person. Oh, I'm, I loved it. Yeah, I think Danny Elfman did the score. Yeah. Um, and he includes songs, as you said, from um, Rob Thomas, who, you know, his song, Little Wonders, actually reached t- number five on the Billboard chart. So that was cool. Yeah, um, I love that song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rufus Wainwright. <laughs> and then you also have, you know, Jonas Brothers. Okay. Los Jonas. <laughs> all um, I heard in Argentina. Los Hermanos Jonas. Oh my. Um, yeah, all American rejects, and they might be giants. You know, the really great. I, I I liked all of their songs that they had on there. Like the movie, the soundtrack. While watching the movie, I thought it was really fun, and like they had a lot to work with. You know, the fact being that it was really futuristic, and the wacky family that was all around, so they could throw in a lot of different cool elements there. Um, it really moved the story along. And as far as, like, the soundtrack on its own, I think it's definitely a listen to. Like, if you ever are thinking, oh, I wonder what that is. I mean, Danny Elfman, he dabbles in a lot of different beats. I mean, I, I caught, like, salsa in there. and that We is really need cool. someone on maracas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he had the, the jazz type thing. I love Danny Elfman. Like, he's just, he's the man. He really knows his stuff. Yeah, so a real, a real versatile and real. There's real variety in the score. Yeah, which is cool, and it's a really good score. Like you can, you can hear like a lot of like, uh, what, what's that? What is it called when that trumpet does the, you know, the the thing? You know, it's just kind of. There's a lot of sassy trumpet, <laughs> and there's a lot of jazz influence, and I, I like it. I like yeah. It. In the story itself, um, there's some really adorable characters. We open up with. The, the, I I always forget that the first line is actually spoken by Goob, Michael Yagoyan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really think he's amazing. I just love I just love how he talks when he's a, when he's a little boy, you know, not not evil guy. Right. Oh yeah, spoiler alert uh, again. I love Goob. I love his lines. Oh, <laughs> yeah, nothing so says great. nothing says adopt me like a weird invention. <laughs> like easy win. Those guys are a bunch of bums. He grabs <laughs> grabs her coffee. <laughs> good then, cup then, of Joe. That's a good cup of Joe. And then, uh, Mr. Steak, you're my only friend. I think that's, like, the funniest <laughs> line. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and then we meet uh, Lewis, who is also a, a really cool character. Um, really cool kid. I, I love how he, he just uh, invents things, like brain scanners, like in an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> but he is really smart. You know, no magic feather here. 
Um, Lewis was actually voiced by two separate actors. I guess uh, one of them got the Ron Weasley in the Chamber of Secrets uh, treatment, and his voice started breaking. Oh, and no. and uh, and so they got in a new guy. And so you can you can kind of tell throughout the movie when his voice changes, but it, it, they do a good job of covering it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Bad timing. <laughs> And and I do appreciate this film because it's not the typical horrible orphanage treatment that you get. Yeah, you know? I liked the mm-hmm. fact that his... it's no it's no Oliver Twist in here. Yeah, I really liked the uh, the orphanage house mother person. I thought she was really nice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love yeah, everybody's you know really nice. Uh, the only thing that's kind of holding Lewis back is that. He loves inventing, and 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 the people they interviews are like, "Oh, so what's your favorite sport?" You know. Yeah. Uh, whenever I hear that line, I'm like, "Oh, you don't even get it. You deserve to be sprayed with something you're allergic to." <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love it when he's like, "Poor Mr. Harrington, I killed him." Uh-huh. <laughs> I really like that line. Um. So yeah, I I do appreciate that it's not this miserable experience because that's kind of that's kind of that's not the point of the film. No. Oh. You know, the point is not he's trying to escape the orphanage life. He's just trying. He's just trying to find a mom and dad. It is really sad. You know, like 124. That's how many times he's gone to an interview. Yeah. And so he gets this crazy idea that, hey, maybe I could just invent something to where I could. um, So I could know who my mom looks like and I could find her and she'll want me back. You know, you know, kind of a, a kid's dream. Definitely. Um you would do well to notice the brain scanners movie poster on the building in the background. Yeah, that was uh, fun. A little well, apparently shape. even in his like sketches, um, when he like draws the brain scanner in a sketchbook, like the little brain waves like spell out mom. Like it's a super small little Easter egg, but yeah. Do. Yeah. Huh. And, the, and there's in there, if you look in the background of some scenes, you'll see some things like at the baseball game, um, when Goob is sleeping, when, he, when he's falling asleep, if you look real close, you'll see a, um, a Jungle Book poster, movie poster. Oh, really? <laughs> in the background, yeah, with Baloo and Mowgli, you can see it back there. And so that's cool. I mean, I good little Easter eggs like that. It's not even Easter. I, I love it. <laughs> Wait, where did that phrase come from? That's something I've I've only ever heard in the last, like, three years, I feel like. Oh, no, Easter eggs have been, been around for a long time. But the, oh, yeah. the term itself, Easter egg? The term, the term itself, yeah. Really? Okay. It probably just goes back to Easter. Something, <laughs> a little goodie that's hidden. Oh, okay. I can, I, I, I get it. Yeah, but it's just like, <laughs> where did that come from? Who, who was the one that like dubbed it? You are this little type of hidden gem is now. I'm going to just call you an Easter egg. Yeah. I would say either either a big time filmmaker that everyone respects or a user on the internet that just <laughs> that just started it and it rippled from there. And then we move on to the science fair. Okay, this film is just full of crazy characters. Like, you don't really, they don't really develop. They're just kind of there. But yeah. there's, like, the coach, you know, my gym. And there's, uh... No, I love, I love the coach. Like, when he, like, he says that, he's like, it's my gym. Like, his pectorals, like, twitch. <laughs> yeah, he, like, he, like, flexes what? his pecs. <laughs> And then the crazy, like, fire ant girl, like, ooh, stay away from you. Only Just my enemy. Slightly Wednesday Adams. Right. No kidding. Like, oh, let's not make her, let's not make her jumpy in any way or angry. <laughs> and then, uh, 
freaking Wilbur Robinson shows up. He, okay, okay, first of all, I love um, when he's like, Bowler Hat Guy, and he tackles the kid, and the kid's like, dude, you almost busted my solar system. <laughs> <laughs> I love that kid. But yeah, Wilbur Robinson is, like, the best. I really love him. He's, like, he's like, he's a, he's like the sassiest little guy. And plus, the t- plus, the T-shirt tucked into jeans is... I mean, that's what people wear in the future, everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 already here. But uh, I freaking love Wilbur. He's he's got the I think he's got the best animation. He talks with his hands. He's very sassy, like the kid. Um, and by perp, I mean I know what it means. Okay, Mister Smarty Pants. <laughs> I remember as a kid, I was so frustrated because they explained what HQ meant, and I was like, okay, I know that one, I got it. And then he's like, all right, and the perp, and the, you know. Lewis cuts him off saying, I know what it means. And I did not know what it meant. And all I wanted, all I wanted Wilbur to do was finish. Like, Lewis, you're so rude. I didn't know what perp meant. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. This film is based on a book, right? Yeah, it's based on a book um, called A Day with Wilbur Robinson. Um, and there's actually a little shout out to, um, to the author, the science fair is held at Joyce Williams Elementary School, um, and the author of the book is William Joyce. So, I mean, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. A little, little nod there. There's a few hidden Mickeys, too, right? Yeah. One on the music stand sheet where Lewis meets Franny. And, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And the cover of Gaston's stopwatch. In oh, where he asked him to time his race? Yeah. <laughs> during the trippy part. During the LSD part of the movie. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. meet the family. And so, you know, all, all heck breaks loose when the science fair is ruined because Doris ruins everything. Um, Bowler Hat Guy looks really weird in those first scenes because they throw a lot of green light on him, which doesn't really fit the scene just to make him look diabolical. But um, when you get to really know Bowler Hat Guy, I, I think he's my favorite character in this film. <laughs> like, they, they really took the quintessential mustachioed uh, Bowler Hat villain guy and just made him amazing. Like, he is so pathetic and so dumb, but he also thinks he is so evil. <laughs> I know, I'll turn him into a duck. Oh, yes, it's so evil. And then, uh, you know, his whole thing is that he doesn't really think about what he's doing. You know, Doris does all the thinking, and so when he's left to himself, he just d- does the dumbest things. It's a very so, yeah. Plankton and uh, Karen kind of relationship. Karen, your hands <laughs> must have been part computer or something. <laughs> I, I specialize in, in plankton impersonations. It was, it was on point. Well, they made a crossover where Bowler Hat Guy teams up with plankton. They'd get nothing done. They would get nothing done. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, because Doris would just run off with Karen and they would form their own diabolical plot that would be a real threat. <laughs> so, anyway, Wilbur pushes Lewis off a roof and he lands in the time machine. <laughs> the future. This is where the animation really gets cool because the future is like so amazing. I love it. For one, for one, there's a space mountain with a sign in front of it that says "Today Land," mm-hmm. and the rocket ship ride. Don't forget about that. That's the ride I never get on because the line is always so long during the part of the day when I just don't want to wait on in lines. <laughs> but yeah, um, the future has arrived. That theme, I like it. It's very, very bubbly, very cheerful. Mm-hmm. The coolest inventions: the buildings that construct themselves. Insta-building. Yeah, insta-building. That was cool. Insta-building. That's right. Everything was very, like, fluffy looking. Everything looked like it was blown, like a balloon. Like, very Mm -hmm. rounded edges. There was no, like, harshness. It's all very, uh, I don't know. Very, very very apple. 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say that, yeah. I was a huge fan of the bubble travel. I mean, I mean, it's cute and it was clean and it's just, who, who doesn't want to ride in a bubble? I mean, it's just, I thought it was great. I just wonder how they steer the darn things. <laughs> Every- I'm sure it's like a lean. Give it a good lean or two. Oh, it's like driving Give it, a, yeah, some- <laughs> So it's like driving a Segway. <laughs> yes, it's a bubble Segway. <laughs> I've never driven one. They always kind of freak me out. You know, those things really aren't as low profile as they were advertised to be. Right. It's a sleek, ergonomic design, but it lifts about four feet off the ground, and you have to wear a helmet, and everyone notices you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they he has to he has to um, fix a time machine. I love Carl. None may pass unless they know the royal password. We don't have a royal password. Yes, we do. I made one up while you were gone. <laughs> you, good point. Um, this is where the the made for 3D thing definitely comes out because every time Carl is on the screen, I don't know why, but he just has to get in the camera and like pop out at you. Yeah, I know. I know he's trying to, but alas, I don't have 3D capability on my TV, so go home. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Lewis uh, flies through the the, the teleport tubes or, or the the travel tubes, uh, and that's when the shiz gets weird. That's when it just <laughs> the movie just starts getting really crazy. Um, in the which I launch into another one of my Mason theories. Um, I think there was a gas leak in the garage and Lewis was definitely tripping for the next several hours because <laughs> everything is just so nuts. Everything from the grandpa to um, Spike and Dimitri to Lefty, like it's just so crazy. Well, like, you, like this is the part of the movie where you just need to hold on, drink your flavor aid and, 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 and run with it. <laughs> kind of like all of Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Um, yeah. Oh, jeez. Where, where it's just, everything oh. is just so nuts. Why Some things I don't get. Up? Some things I don't get. What's with Petunia? Why does the guy have to have a puppet for a wife? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this film, but, like, that part is a little disconcerting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, it's innocent in how he portrays it, but um, that's very weird. Yeah, you know, here's one thing, you know, spoiler, obviously. Um, it, this She's is, cranky. That's the spoiler. <laughs> She's cranky, right. <laughs> cranky, yeah. Um, no, like, so this is Lewis's future home. This is his his future family. He is the one that's gone, and he's created everything, and, like, he's a bil- bajillionaire because he's the man. And yet, like, all of his family, like, all of these extended families just kind of, like, suck into his life. And they just kind of like, like they don't really achieve much. I mean, there's the one guy who's a pizza delivery guy, and then slash superhero slash Batman, right? You know, <laughs> but I mean, it's like comparatively speaking, they're just kind of like hanging out in this big mansion. Like you got the one um, Joe, his uncle Joe is just sitting in his chair. He works out. <laughs> like he, right, just, he works out. <laughs> he just like sits there all day. Everybody else is just kind of like doing their own thing. It kind of reminds me of like uh, how they portray like East coast money, like old money. They just like sit there. Like they don't really do like, they just come from all of this. I don't know. Just people end up like coming around you because you can like take care of them. You've got enough to go over. And I think one reason like Lewis love, like lets him, I guess is just because he loves the family aspect. He just wants this big old beautiful family that comes in and makes him feel at home and happy and everything. 
But I don't yeah. know. It's just yeah. really funny, like, just the weirdos that money will attract. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I wouldn't be as cynical, but I, I can definitely see how they can be seen as, as freeloaders because they don't really have jobs besides... Now, it might have been a Saturday or a Sunday. You know, it's they might true. not be working. It's true. I, I have been kind of cynical. I'm sorry. I will repent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, of course, there's um, the whole Tom Selleck thing is like the most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> and you're forgetting about. Um, oh, yeah. And Wilbur is the son of Franny and Cornelius. <laughs> it just shows. <laughs> what does Cornelius Selleck. look like? Uh, Tom Selleck. <laughs> okay. He just, he just like pauses for a second and then he just goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the dinner part is really, really funny. They kind of introduce the frogs. They kind of develop them a little bit long enough for um, Bowler Hat Guy to use them. <laughs> you are now under my control. I am now under your control. He, 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 he. I love his accent. Excellent. I. Dude, we love Frankie. Like we in our house, we always quote him. Uh, right, you bozos. <laughs> so yeah. I love when they're at dinner and they're like, "So, where are you from?" And he's like, "Uh, Canada." <laughs> uh, I think you mean North Montana. It hasn't been called Canada in years. <laughs> like, in years. Oh, uh, North Montana man doesn't care about hat hair. <laughs> oh, awesome. Do you know Sam Gunderson? Wonder if she ha- he has the family cowlick. What's uh, work? <laughs> and then uh, the editing in the film is is so crazy. Like when they do the random kung fu scene, they make it look like it was dubbed. Um, the only thing I don't get is what what is with Uncle Joe and the toast? Can someone please explain it to me? It wants PB and J, man. On his toast. I get I get that way all the time. I want PB and J. Not really. I'm just whatever. <laughs> all right. I just didn't understand that part. It seemed a little, a little very strange for me. And you then, don't know uh, what the stakes are here. He's already yeah. seen the toast. And then somebody else pipes in. And is like, we're at the point of no return now. <laughs> so strange. Uh, so yeah, and then Lewis, he fi- he kind of fixes it, but he doesn't really. But it's okay because because um, you learn from failures, which you know this is not a magic feather movie. And then I love Petunia's like, oh, I've seen better. <laughs> we say that all the time in our family. <laughs> like, if we say something really impressive, we're always like, oh, I've seen better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then you launch into the dinosaur fight, which is, I think, is a little unnecessary. Um, I liked it. I mean, I think it just added to the... But it did, it did segue into another, I have a big head and little tiny <laughs> arms. <laughs> I just don't think your plan was very well thought through, <laughs> Master. <laughs> um, Great joke. So I, I love the T Rex. I love the, how the T Rex just stays with the family. Yeah, after he's that. just like hanging out, like doing like back rolls. He's like roll, rolling around in the lawn. He's just fine. It's <laughs> like okay. I think I vote Franny Robinson as uh, the, one of the nicest animated characters ever. She really is. A She's like flawless. Yes. She's like great. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we're already in the part of the film, the low point of the film. You know, the the quintessential, you lied to me? Move, you know, quote, you know, lying you know, in every animated movie ever. Well, for for one, uh, Wilbur's kind of dumb for throwing around a lot of promises. Yeah. Like, Wilbur is pretty smart because he knows how to drive a time, he knows how to operate a time machine, but he's also very kind of dumb. You know, he didn't think this through. Right. 
okay, I always feel like I see this the most when he's running away and he's like uh, running around all the shrubbery. I feel like there's a it was a I think it was on Nick Jr. It was um it was a CGI. It was a kid show about like um, caterpillars, no centipedes, and they were all just a bunch of circles together, and they were kind of robots. I don't know. I think some of the oh, shrubs uh, like those, those guys. Yeah, I think one of the I think some of the shrubs look like Roly Polioli, which would make sense because it's Nickelodeon. <laughs> okay, I completely, absolutely love that humongous teapot shrub. Uh, I mean, I know it's a sad part in the movie, and Lewis is really upset, so he kind of hides behind a shrub. Um, but it's this huge teapot, like pouring tea into this cup. And uh, my first thought was like, is it a Renderman teacup or like an Alice in Wonderland tea yeah. party <laughs> shout out? Um, but I got a little distracted, and I absolutely loved that shrubbery. Yeah, yeah. I like this part of the plot because it reveals. It reviews the whole thing. Uh, Lewis is actually Cornelius Robinson, who started Robinson Industries, who's the founder of the future, basically. And Wilbur is his son and all, you know, all that family. And then um, Bowler Hat guy is, Michael Yagovian. I know, I'm disgusting. But I love it. (laughs) And, um... I mean, he's been, like, hanging out in his old room and in the same clothes for the past 20 years. You really, get to, you really get to see how pathetic he really is, <gasps> and that and that's the big that's the big thing with this film. That's the big theme. Like Goob let his failures. He wouldn't let his failure go. He let it define who he was, and so he grew up to be a, a miserable person. I'm assuming he never went to school during all those years. Obviously, he didn't think that through. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't think that through. Just. He was just angry and angry and angry, and then uh, Doris saw that he was vulnerable and stupid, and so she used him. Um, and so I like how all that connects. That's that's cool writing. That's, that's a cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's even better when you go back and you see at the beginning that they do hint at because Franny is at the um, the science fair and she's like, "My frogs, I know kung fu," you know. <laughs> so it, it kind of it kind of makes sense. And then it's really it's really scary. It's very very grim future where Doris takes over. Bowler Hat Guy passes off the invention of his own, and Doris kills everyone and enslaves them. Really scary when like zombie family Robinson shows up. Oof. But I like it though. You know, with with effective lighting in your in your scene, you can tr- definitely turn regular people into scary zombies. Because if you look real closely, they're all wearing their normal clothes. Right. It's just the lighting makes them look super scary. You know, and, and then you know the some better anime, you know some some zombie like animation. Mm-hmm. I know we've been down the SpongeBob road before, but there is that episode where I don't know if it's Plankton or Karen or whoever puts all these buckets on everyone's head and they that's all. Not an episode. The... That's the movie. It is <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, then obviously you know what you're talking about. Oh, but... hail Plankton! <laughs> yeah. So clearly he takes over the brain of everyone in the town except for Squidward. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have mixed feelings about the movie. But yeah, that's uh, that's also a planktonism. So maybe I'll do some fan art. There's got to be some, some Buller Hat Guy plankton fan art. <laughs> Shut your mouth, you mediocre clarinet player. <laughs> mediocre? <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> and then Lewis realizes, you know, what he, what he has to do. You know, I'm, I'm never going to invent you. And Lars... Doris disappears. Doris turns into the brain scanner from the poster right before she dis- right before she blows up. I'm assuming it's a she kind of well, like a Siri thing. Yeah, I I feel it. And um, so yeah, the ending is real sweet, but I did not like the bowler hat guy's ending. Have, did you guys see any of the extra stuff on the DVDs? 
I have not. There's an alternate ending, which I think is a lot better, on the DVD where Lewis, instead of uh, taking Bowler Hat Guy to the future and being like, okay, well, you have to live your life now, um, he takes Bowler Hat Guy back to the day of the science fair, and he takes him to the baseball field, and he convinces Bowler Hat Guy to yell out to Goob, his younger self, and thus waking him up and causing him to win the game. So he gives Bowler Hat Guy the chance to fix his future. Like, to, he gives him the chance to make things right. Yeah, I would like to see that one. I would like that. I would have liked that, too. The only thing I didn't like about that ending is that um, they're sitting in the time machine, and Lewis looks back, and Bowler Hat Guy just, like, disappears. He just runs away. I'm assuming out of shame, or maybe because he realized that he didn't really think that through, and that if <laughs> the time machine, all he had to do was change his future <laughs> by, um, you know, waking his younger self up. But yeah, I think that would have been a better ending because the whole point of the film is that if you make the right choices and keep moving forward, you know, and stick with your family, um, you, know, or, you know, not necessarily that, but there's the family theme there, mm-hmm. um, and keep moving forward, you can, um, you know, that's that's what you need to make your future bright, you know, yeah, or at least I... you need to you need to try. You can't just be like, you know, when things go wrong, you can't just be like bowler hat guy and just not bathed for 20 years. <laughs> you know, I I don't think that, you know, the going back with the t- using the time machine to change anything that happened would have been good because that also kind of sends the message of, like, the if only. Like, people... If I could turn back time. <laughs> right. Like, people look back and they just think, well, if only this would have happened, then everything would have been different. And then you kind of, like, focus too much on the past. Like, it kind of would go contrary of the whole theme of keep moving forward. Uh, yeah. Take where you're at and then, you know, change now. Yeah, so it's it's more like keep moving forward, but first you need to move backward in a time machine and change your past. Right. <laughs> Let's just hack into the time stream continuum. <laughs> So yeah, um, okay, okay, I, I I can take that, but I I do like that ending better rather than um, rather than Bowler Hat Guy just like walking off and being like, well, what do I do now? You know, right. I do like that they offered him to be adopted into the Robinson family because then he would have been like the abominable snowman on on Rudolph. You know, they would have given him a purpose, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this Bumble's humble. Um, I wouldn't have liked to see that. But yeah, and the ending is so sweet. Like he gets adopted by Bud and and Lucille. <laughs> you can stay awake for days with a caffeine patch with no side effects. <laughs> Each patch is the equivalent of twelve cups of coffee. She's got like eight of them. <laughs> I haven't slept in eight days. <laughs> I love how they adopt him. I love that they just. I love. The editing, they they go in with the Rob Thomas, um, you know, with the first line, let it go, right when Lewis realizes that everything is right and he can let his failure go and he can just move on to his bright future. Like, like I almost get teary-eyed when I see the ending of this movie. Like, it's really sweet. Yeah. Little Easter egg there again. Uh, Cornelius, when he's taking him Lewis through his lab, and he's like, well, they got to keep moving forward. We're we're great. You got to go back to that science lab. Um. Uh, he he points at him with the the two finger point, which is the Disney point. Um, if you were ever a cast member, um, you know Disney cast members must point using two fingers or their whole hand because it is rude to point with one finger. And so uh, when giving directions, you know you see it, your stewardesses on your plane will do the the, the Disney point. That's true. <laughs> a little something I picked up from Urban Dictionary. I like it. Yeah. And another thing with the ending is it was very mature and very cool of them to 
to where Lewis decides not to meet his mom in the beginning of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes that he already has a family waiting for him in the future, as long as he makes the right decisions. And now he has that newfound confidence. You know, would things have been differently if he had convinced his mom to not uh, give him up for adoption? He's having a lot of faith and taking a, a risk and making a very mature choice to kind of put that on hold and, you know, wait for, you know, his own future. Right. I love that part where he, you know, he almost, you know, taps her shoulder and then, you know, he slips off the back of the step and runs away. And those are the same footsteps that you hear in the very beginning of the movie. Beginning, yeah. And it just ties the whole thing together. And I love it. Yeah. 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 It's very, very cool. What did you think about the ending, Chels? Everything that you said, I totally agree with. So what I get from this movie, uh, the whole repeated motif to keep moving forward, um, it's best illustrated in Bowler Hat Guy versus Lewis. You know, Lewis at first, he just wants to mull over his failures. Uh, and then, um, you know, he, he learns not to. Uh, I love how uh, Bowler Hat Guy, he just won't let it go, even though everyone around him has moved on. You know, they're like, hey, Goob, cool notebook. Hey, Goob, want to come over to my house? They all hated me. <laughs> I was like, hey, you're being unfair to yourself, dude. You know, and then his line at the end where he's like, hmm, take responsibility for my life or blame you. Ding, 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 blame you. And hands down. <laughs> Very, that's, that's his, that's, that's the big clashing of the philosophies. When things go bad in your life, do you find someone to blame? Or do you take responsibility and keep moving forward? Yeah. You know, the way things are socially, you know, I would think that's a big issue to look at, to examine uh, in all of our lives. Well, it's so easy to blame other people. It know? is. It, it makes me think back to um, my little odyssey with uh, trying to get into BYU animation, which was, you know, my big dream, not making it. And um, and it's, it's hard when something heartbreaking like that happens to you um it's very easy to want to blame people to get angry or vindictive but um eventually you have to take responsibility for your life and keep moving forward and um so yeah i i found a new chance with a&m and so um i think it's going to work out but it's i can definitely relate to the film this film a lot and then monsters university also um you know as, as someone who's gone through that and we, and we all have you know we've all oh, had yeah. setbacks and so um, I mean, you have moments where, like, like, yeah, it's so much easier to just, like, say, well, if only, instead of just, like, you know what, the more I look back, the more I stay where I am. I'm not going to get anywhere if I keep thinking the same thoughts and have that same mentality of it's all your fault. And, you know, I, I actually personally, I think you get so much more power in your own life when you take that responsibility. Like, for example, like, if somebody offends you, and instead of like getting all like up in arms about it and like coming out, well, they should have done this. Blah, 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 blah. And like, I feel like there's so much more power that you have that you take when you just say, why am I offended? Well, maybe it's because I have this kind of insecurity. Well, that's something I need to work on. I need to not be insecure in that way. How do I be not insecure? Well, I can work on that. Okay. And like, it's instead of like, I don't know. I just I found a lot of of power and comfort in doing that in my own life, and it's it's definitely helped me. Yeah, well, well said, Bednar. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's uh, true. It is. It is very true. It is very true. Um, you should be a motivational speaker, Chelsea. I really thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, yeah. So that's what I got out of it. I all all this film is like really good. 
and I think it has one of the better stories out there. One of the better messages, like it's a message about family, it's a message about taking responsibility for your life, and it's a message about um, what we've been talking about. So, right. I really like it. I think it fits as a Disney film. I wish there were more fans of this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I think it's just not a storyline that you come upon a whole lot. I mean, you know, an orphan adventure who becomes, you know, just this a hotshot sounds like too shallow of a word, but I mean, it's just, I think it's a storyline that I just never heard before. I never heard anything close to it. Um, it's just, it's a good feel good movie. I mean, um, it's one of those, like, when you're when you're sick or when you're bored, whatever. I mean, it just makes everything better. And it's cute. It's visually appealing. And um, the music is fantastic. And it's just, just a good, happy movie. Yeah, good deal. We asked our listeners on the Twitter, who is your favorite character from Disney's Meet the Robinsons? Because there are so many awesome ones. Um, let's see. Milan Harrison says, Coach, my gym. Um <laughs> Ben Aros, uh I like Tallulah and Laszlo and uh, and Wilbur. I used to love that movie. Um, oh, my younger sister Becca likes Frankie the Frog. Ring a ding ding. <laughs> uh, Francisco, uh, he says Lewis. I love the idea that he represents the perseverance and hard work, fighting with his fears, and keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, let's see, Gemma Clark. Uh, says, Wilbur, he reminds me a lot of Peter Pan for some reason. I can see that, too. Oh, Very yeah. confident in himself. Yeah. She says, I kind of wish we saw more of him, though. I think I think Wilbur was a, a really good part of this film. And I think he was a really good character. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks, listeners. Hey, guys, this is Morgan. I'm making a quick little cameo in this episode. I was actually putting the finishing touches on this episode and thought, hey, we don't have a Twitter question. Let's ask. Um, little did I know that the host had already gone over a Twitter question and got your feedback on your favorite character. But um, since I got so many responses on this, I decided that I would put it in anyway. So the question we asked on Twitter was, basically, all we said was, tweet us your thoughts about Disney's Meet the Robinsons. So anything and everything goes. So so here are the responses. Thomas Blalock says, I think it's wonderful and underrated. Dylan says, a Disney film honestly unlike any other out there. It's got a mixed rep, yes, but it's bright and fanciful enough to work. Diego, he actually has a lot of O's in his name, that's why I said that. Although it doesn't reach the heights of Disney's best, it's still one of the better films of the early 2000s. Very underrated. Kyle, one of our writers, says, a film that lasted or salvaged, one with a tremendous amount of heart and a surprisingly good story. But since it was a film that lasted or had to fix in a short amount of time, the tone is pretty inconsistent at times. But on the whole, it's well put together. The whole theme, Walt's keep moving forward message, completes it. Hashtag no worries says, I really liked it. It was a very emotional movie. Ben says, bold move for Disney. Big idea, not executed as well as it could have been. Memorable characters and strong message. 3.1 out of 5 stars. (laughs) Danya Marie says, I like it. Definitely underrated. And good quotes. I've got a big head and little arms. Giovanni says, It's uniqueness and great message make it shine, and the variety of characters allowed for some hilarious jokes and antics. Mauricio says, I don't like that movie at all. That film is crazy and weird. I prefer Bolt and Chicken Little. Michael Pinto Blue Jay says, While it's not the worst, I don't think it's great either. It has its moments, but I still prefer the 90s movies over it. Munir says, Uneven, yes, but still heartfelt with a great twist in the story. It brought back the magic that was missing in Walt Disney Animation Studios and paved the way for greater things. Chris Cookson says, I remember 
remember being really impressed by the stereoscopic 3D at the time. Loved seeing all the Tomorrowland-esque shapes and colors. Also really interesting to see John Lasseter's impact on the movie's ending, the first Disney film impacted by the Pixar deal. And Faisal says, chaotic in a good way, of course. Definitely not a Disney classics material, but it has its own standalone charm. 3.5 stars. And lastly, Trish says, I'd love that movie if almost everything about it were different. All right, so we got quite an array of people liking this movie a lot, not liking it, kind of in the middle. Very cool. So thank you guys for sending in your listener questions. And now we have one little voicemail to read to you. Hello, Rotoscopers. Esther here. How's summer going? I wanted to say that you've been so accommodating to your fans, taking the time to listen to us and respond to any questions or comments that might have, and I appreciate it very much. After your Pokemon episode, I wanted to add in a request for you to do an episode on Sailor Moon, providing that, of course, you guys know what Sailor Moon is, that you watched it at some point. I'm sure a lot of us got interested in anime because we watched Sailor Moon on Cartoon Network weekday afternoons. I'd say it drew me in because it was like having all your favorite Disney princesses, but they had magical powers and they worked together to battle monsters. Sounds like a win to me. I read that some people say the idea of a magical girl show or a girl working with supernatural powers was the good kickoff for shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Charmed, and some say the Disney Renaissance was great because it put girl power back on the map, so Sailor Moon had the right timing. And who am I to disagree with that? All I can say is three special words, moon, prism, power. So rotoscopers, stay cool, stay awesome, and have fun. Bye! Hey, Esther. Thanks for sending that email. Actually, I am a huge Sailor Moon fan. Like you said, it was the first introduction to anime. I just remember seeing it and immediately falling in love with it. Um, wanted to know everything about it. I just remember loving that scene in the elevator where Sailor Moon reveals that she's Sailor Moon and where Sailor Moon transforms into Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask, vice versa. Just so, so good. You know, a Sailor Moon episode wouldn't be that bad. I don't know how invested Mason or Chelsea were into Sailor Moon. I remember that I had Sailor Moon t-shirts, and Sailor Moon randomly played at a really weird time in Arizona, like 5.30 in the morning, but I even woke up to watch it then because I thought it was so cool. But yeah, that'd actually be something really cool to do in the future, so we'll put it on our list and hopefully... We can get that to you guys. So thanks, Esther, for sending that voicemail in. Anyone else who wants to send in a voicemail, just go to therotoscopers.com slash voicemail, and you can send us a voicemail there. We also have a new phone number. Maybe for those of you who don't have a microphone on your computer or you just prefer to call in, we have a number for you. So it's really exciting. Our new phone number is 406-646-6575. Again, that's 406-646-6575. So the last four numbers on the dialer pad are ROTO. You can also send us an email at therotoscopers at gmail.com. We absolutely love getting emails, whether they're big or small, long or short. They are fun to read and hear your thoughts. So maybe if you didn't get to send in your thoughts about Meet the Robinsons or you're listening to old episodes, you're on episode one or two, and you want to say, hey, this is how I feel about Beauty and the Beast, or hey, this is how I feel about the Iron Giant, Rocket whatever even if it's a movie you haven't covered just send us your thoughts send us an email and we will read it in one of our future episodes and we will also be doing a very special movie which is tiny tunes how i spent my summer vacation (laughs) i know i know right (laughs) so anyways thanks guys and let's get back to mason chelsea and alex 
Thank you, listeners. We love our we love our listeners. We love our voicemail. Um, I just love technology the way it is, to where you can just record a voicemail online and it shows up. And... Yeah. Okay. Uh, final. What what rating do you give this movie out of five stars? Chelsea, go. I gave this movie four stars. I like the message that it sent. I liked the characters. They were really funny. Personally, my favorite random character was the dinosaur. He made me, <laughs> he made me laugh. <laughs> uh, trivia alert. Do you know what the name of the dinosaur is? No. His name is Tiny. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> if, you look, if you look at some of the posters for the film, he's wearing a doggy leash with the name Tiny on it. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I just... Everything about it just was happy. I could watch it again. Good good replay value with it. So, yeah, four stars. Woohoo! Gur, Alex, what do you say? <laughs> I'll probably give it a solid four also. I mean, it's one of those, I mean, I could watch it six times in a row and, like, find just, like, a little something fun and new, like, just little bitty details um, that I hadn't seen previously in every new, you know, replay. Um, and it's just, it's happy. It makes you laugh. It makes you smile. It makes you feel good about, you know, yourself. And it makes you just kind of kind of look forward to the future because that's, you know, such a big theme. So I give it a solid four. Well, I think the common theme today is the four stars things because <laughs> I, I give it four stars as well. And who wouldn't, it's not the perfect animated film, but it is a great like family film. It's a great feel good film. And yeah, for the aforementioned reasons, uh, four stars, really, really good film. Let it go. Let it roll right off your shoulder, don't you know? The hardest part is over, let it in. Let your clarity define you in the end. We will only just remember how it feels. Our lives are well, once again, this was a fantastic episode. Love to meet the Robinsons. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Okay, for the show notes for this, all you need to do is head on over to therotoscopers.com slash 46. You can get all the information. You can also find the article that we talked about during the Nerdy Couch discussion. We can also find lots of fun stuff. Anything that you want to know about this episode, it's probably going to be there. If it's not there, let us know. We'll get it for you. You can find us all on the Rotoscopers on Twitter, on Tumblr, Facebook, Hypable, Animated Views. You can find individually Morgan Straddling on Twitter. You can also find myself, Chelsea Robson, at Twitter. Or you can go to ChelseaRobson.com. Mason goes to MasonSMTX. Uh, on Twitter, and our wonderful new friend, Alex, can be found. Oh, new friend. <laughs> Yay! Yay! She can be found on Twitter as well at Hey Alex Parker. Yeah, and this episode was the result of a listener poll on therotoscopers.com. We asked them, and you answered. Thanks for voting on the poll, and also thank you for not making me review the DuckTales movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie! Someday, Morgan and I will do <laughs> Anyway, or no, or should I say thank you for not making me review Happy Feet? Oh yeah, no. Okay, okay. Please no. Yeah, yeah please no Happy Feet. Anyway, um, <gasps> don't forget to leave us a voice message. Check out our website. We're really cool, and our writers are really cool. I want to. I just want to make a public shout out to all our Rotoscopers writers because <laughs> they're they're amazing. Uh, we got a great team, and um, we appreciate all of you. So yeah, hey, thanks for being on the show, Alex. Well, thank y'all for having me. This is where we go. We are the rotoscopers all at once, Alex. And it, okay. usually, doesn't, it usually doesn't work, but we're going to try it. I'm ready. I'm ready. 
Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 46. Ding, ding, ding. Blame you wins hands down. You, you forgot to save me the Robinsons. Oh, did I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, today we're with our special ghost, uh, ghost host. Oh, no, I've ruined it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mason. So we also have a blooper reel, so that'll go on it. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, you don't have any fans on or anything, anything that could produce noise? Um... Well, see, my I still live in that dorm life, and my roommate's asleep, so I'm sitting outside, um, and a lawnmower <laughs> just drove by. So <laughs> yeah, I can hear it, <laughs> dude. It's an Aggie invasion today. Uh, <laughs> I'm being outnumbered. <laughs> anyway, um, that really was fun. Um, oh, one person at the Don Bluth thing said they were uh, said their favorite Don Bluth film was Rocket Doodle. Yay! <laughs> uh, I I wanted to punch him, but um, <laughs> I was like, you've obviously never has. I just want to stand up in the theater and be like, has nobody seen Titan AE? Look at it. <laughs> we, I, you know, honestly, I that's the only one I haven't seen. Well, not the only one. I don't think Dude, I haven't seen his Titan AE is sweet one. for as much as Don Bluth hates CGI. Um, it really has some great CG effects in it. Really? There's one part of that movie that is like that looks so good, even though it was made back in like '99 or something. Yeah. Plus, Power Man 5000 does a song in it. I Do you people know. even know who he is? Not at all. Girl <laughs> Alex, do you know about the Thunder Tube? Someone please enlighten me on the Thunder Tube. Well, it was first introduced on our Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Give her the Thunder Tube, Chels. Dude, I, can't, I can't wait for Halloween because we get to do our Halloween extravaganza again. Oh my goodness! Oh, we're, running, we're running out of we're running out of scare Halloween films though. They only they only make so many. It's from Mary Poppins. What is it? What is this unseemly hullabaloo? <laughs> Have you um, seen the previews for that new Saving Mr. Banks coming out? Oh, where, uh, oh yeah, where, uh, Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney, and he's like, mm -hmm. we can't let him climb that ladder! Uh-huh. I'm just kidding. I, I think Captain Phillips is, is everything now. <laughs> now hear this, there are pirates on board our ship. <laughs> I'm not, I, I like Tom Hanks, but I am not a fan of the fact that he has to be in every film now. Yeah. Just like how Morgan Freeman has to be the black guy in every film. That's you know? true. He does kind of monopolize the black man market. Yes, he does, Mr. Wayne. And um, <laughs> where you need to, okay, some songs you need to have. Uh, you ask me over and over and over. You need to have some Jamie Cullen in there. Mm -hmm. You need to have some Rob Thomas. Well, I normally take what's from the soundtrack, the score, but. I can definitely throw in the Simon Garfunkel and Mrs. Robinson. That would be, that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> I love Simon Garfunkel so, so much because on Arrested Development, they always play the sound of silence when <laughs> when Joe is all sad. <laughs> Hello, darkness, smiles. He's like staring off. It's like the funniest thing ever. Hey, hey, hey. 